0: Job 40, verses 11 through 13. Pour out the overflowing of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. Two weeks ago, we saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to that golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. He stated as a fact, what God is there who can save you from my hands? Well, when given a second chance to do so, they in no uncertain terms told him that their God could save them from him and that fiery furnace. As I stated then, if they had compromised, if they had compromised and bowed down, we wouldn't have been reading about it. We'd have been sitting there thinking to ourselves, well, it, well, if we were reading about them, it was, would have been for some other reason other than being obedient. They'd have been an example of what it's like not to be obedient, I would believe. The key phrase that they use to emphasize to Nebuchadnezzar, and where I transition to the applicability to today's times, and it's really a good phrase, a little three-word thing, but if not, because remember, they told him, Our God is more powerful. He can save us from you and he can save us from that furnace. But if not, it's okay because we still trust and rely in him. They knew God's power, but they also knew uh, that they must must do what was right in God's eyes and not in their own and in the world's eyes. Uh, We often complain about our rights and what is fair. Oh, I hate that word fair. That word fair is nothing but a dirty four-letter F word. And people like to throw that one around all the time. It's just not fair. How come I don't get to? And I just look at that and say, "Ah, don't be cussing of me that way. They did not doubt that God's ability either, but neither did they presume that they knew what God's will was because do you know what God's will is? You have a rough idea, but do you actually know what it is? No, not until the time comes. They recognize that God had a plan, and it, but it might be different from their own desires. You know, he can save us, but if not, it's okay. You can burn us up, and we're still not going to obey you. We're still not going to bow down to you or that image. God has something better in mind for us. Isn't that what we think to ourselves nowadays? Who cares if I die? Who cares if I'm attacked? What does it matter? God has my back. And if I die, I'm in a better place. I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. You know, I have my own desires, and I have my own wishes and my own dreams, and I pray that God fulfills them. but if he doesn't, I'm not going to say, well, God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, so therefore, I'm turning my back on you. It just ain't going to happen. Well, this week, we're going to look at a situation that is pretty much the opposite of this particular shot. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he, kind of like Pharaoh, only well, he's a lot stronger than Pharaoh ever was because he had more control over his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was a daring rival to God in everything over who's going to be the most powerful, who's in charge of the kingdom and of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, well, he puts up a pretty good battle. Now, notice I didn't say anything about Satan because, well, we know Satan's a created being and he's not human. That's why he's not included here. And to say, who gave God a really good battle, a good run for his money? Well, This part of the Bible was written by Nebuchadnezzar himself and just shows how his battle with God came out. Let's pick up at Daniel 4, verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. The unique, this unique chapter is the testimony of a Gentile king and how God changed his heart. Think about that. A Gentile king who did not really know God. He had all kinds of opportunities to know him, but he didn't. Nebuchadnezzar was now old and had reigned for more than 40 years, and he lived in the world and ruled in the world like most men never have before. He had seen all kinds of fun stuff, and up until now, this predicament, we're not sure if he ever really noticed what God had done. We're not sure if he'd ever noticed who God really was. The more we uh, see the events of the the Lord's uh, doing, Do we see them as a product of divine power in our lives? Or do we see them as something more marvelous than they appear? Does God do these things in our lives so that we can look at it and say, that's God's doing, hallelujah. Or do we look at it and go, hmm, maybe, just maybe, this is science. Maybe, just maybe, this is something that's more powerful than God. I can't believe that. I find that, and I would find that really hard to believe that people would think that way. After all, if it's God, there's nothing more powerful. Daniel 4, verses 4 through 9. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed and visions in my mind, kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring in my presence, all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in, and I related them the dream to them. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, According to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him, saying, "O oh, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of a holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with this interpretation." He had lately conquered Egypt, and with a compl- and uh, with the completeness of his victories. He ended his wars, and he made himself king over all those parts of the world which took place in about the 34th, 35th year of his reign. He had finally achieved a great deal of the world to rule over, and he chose peace instead of continuing to battle. But you know, think about this and compare it to our own times. Nebuchadnezzar's rest was the false peace of the ungodly. How often do we see friends of ours who do not believe in God or understand who Christ is that will live a life of turmoil and then all of a sudden they're at great peace because they think, well, gosh, I finally got it all figured out. It's all straightened out and life's just going to be grand. Isn't that just the quiet before the storm? I think sometimes we even experience that one ourselves. So here he is. He thinks he's at rest. But God soon shook him from that false security. Isaiah 21 4. My mind reels, horror overwhelms me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. His dream frightened him. And once again, he called for all the magicians and all the astrologers and all the diviners and all the Chaldeans. Come forth, tell me what my dream means. Now, if I was these guys, I would not have been too thrilled to be called to the king's bedchamber once again. Look what happened last time. Tell me my dream. I'm not going to give you any clues, but tell it to me. And they almost all lost their lives. So here they are, they're going, oh no, okay, O okay. king. And they step in and he tells them the dream and it's not the same dream as it was originally. This was not a great statue made of all different kinds of metals. This time Nebuchadnezzar really told his counselors what the dream was, but they did not tell him what it meant. And I don't think that it was because they couldn't tell him. I think they were afraid to tell him what it meant. We've known things like that also in our lives. Tell me the truth. Mm, No way. No way. I'll get in big trouble if I tell you that. I don't know about you, but I would really rather hear the truth than to have somebody try and manipulate it a little to make it sound a lot better to me. Because that's just a false promise. He remembers the dream and he tells them. And the dream was really fairly easy to interpret when we look at the dream. It's not that hard. And even if you could take a wild guess ahead of time, I'm sure that you, without even reading ahead or having read this story in the past, you would even be able to figure it out. And I don't think any of you are magicians or astrologers or Chaldeans or diviners. I think we're all just normal human beings. Nebuchadnezzar did not say that they did not make it known, but he said that they uh, would not make it known. When Daniel arrived, I'm sure that he was glad to be there. That is, the king is glad Daniel's present. Because after all, Daniel's done him good for so many times. Before Daniel interpreted the dream described in the chapter for Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar worshiped Bel, his God. And that god is a god of order and destiny. Well, I don't know about that. It's a false god. How can it be a god of order and destiny? And this means that what he what Nebuchadnezzar saw previously with Daniel and the three lovely Hebrew men that did not get burned up in the oven, everything that they showed and demonstrate how powerful God was, well, he was impressed. Yeah, I see you've got this great God, puts mine to shame. Man, he's really great. But it was not enough to convert him. It was not enough to convert. You see, being impressed with God isn't the same as being converted. I can be impressed with a great golfer like Tiger Woods. But can I ever be like him? No. As much as I love the game, I cannot be like him. I don't have the strength. I don't have the stamina. He understands who God is in a kind of a weird way, but it's still not his God. And that's the one thing I don't understand in our world today. How can people see how you live your life and see that you don't really worry about anything? You don't really have a care in the world. You have a hope. And they can ask you about that hope and you can tell them and they'll go, oh, I understand but they don't believe. They would rather go through the world experiencing things that they really don't have to. Daniel 4, verses 10 through 17. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. Now, remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is his chapter in the Bible describing what took place. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the vision of my mind as I lay on my bed and behold an angelic watcher, a holy one descended from heaven and he shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip all its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its root in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it and new grass of the field and let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him share with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. The tree in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was noted for its size, its strength, its prominence, its beauty, its fruit and shelter. This tree was planted in the middle of the earth and he may not have understood it represented him. However, at that time, Babylonian Uh, Babylonia was basically the center of the earth. Now notice, I did not say it was the center of the universe because everybody knows that's Wallace. But this tree is in the center of the earth. He has so many kingdoms that he is defeated that they all have nowhere to do and go but to turn to him. He is this massive, powerful thing. And he was so superior to everyone else. They had to go to him for food. They had to go to him for shelter. They had to go to him for protection. This tree had everything in it that was pleasant to the eye and good for food. The leaves were large and beautiful and would represent the splendor of Nebuchadnezzar's court. The splendor was the wonder of strangers and the glory of his own subjects. Think about this. The hanging gardens of Babylon were at this point in time. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Everybody wanted to come and see it. And when they came, they were enthralled and so impressed. This tree was not just for good looks. It was for use. It was for protection. The branches were the shelter for all creatures. The two things that was seen as just as his kingdom, protection and provision. It's protection that draws the allegiance. If you are the king who have conquered all these other nations, and you're the ruler over them, and somebody comes to attack them to steal them from you, do you tell them protect yourself? No, you go and you defend what is yours. He's going to protect them. It is protection that draws on allegiance. The kings of the earth are to their subjects, but as the shadows of the great tree. But you know, whereas it's quite the opposite with Christ, Christ is to his subjects as the shadow of a great rock, Isaiah 32 two, two. Each will be like a, like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom may be strong and able to hide and protect others. He has conquered, providing the illusion of safety and warmth. Well, Psalm 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Can man actually do what God can do where protection and safety is concerned? No. They might think they can. God has everything in control. But man somehow likes to take for granted, well, this is my country, and I can provide everything you need. Turn to me. And it doesn't matter what country you go to that that happens. A government is not the same as God. For provision, remember the Assyrians, they were a pretty big nation too at this around this time. They're the ones that captured and hauled off the 10 tribes. Well, we're told that they're compared to a cedar according to Ezekiel 31.6. All the birds of heavens nested in its boughs and under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth and all great nations lived under its shade. But it did not say that they fed anybody. It did not say that they gave provision. It's nothing more than strength and shame. But this tree in his dream showed that it contained enough food to feed everyone and everything. That's how powerful this kingdom was. That's how great that he was in his day. So here he is, all this dream that he's having, he's thinking, oh man, this is like totally cool. It all looks good. It all looks pleasant. I'm able to provide food and feed everybody this tree. He doesn't know it's him. He doesn't know it's his kingdom. But you see, there was something wrong with this picture, though. And that's where this lovely angel popped in. That angel appeared in the sky and pronounced a judgment to this serene picture. Something so severe that he perfectly remembered it. I bet he remembered it word for word with this angel said when he told Daniel. couldn't remember the other dream, but he can remember this one. And according to the original word, this angelic watcher, as he called it, this watcher, this is the only chapter in the entire book of the Bible that this thing is mentioned. I've got a feeling that the God he served, that bell, The angels that he thought he had, he may have called them angelic watchers. I'm not sure. This angel was a messenger and a holy one though. Orders are to be given that this tree is to be cut down. And it doesn't matter how much good it is providing to everyone and everything. Just like men today, you can do all what is perceived as good and have a bad heart. You can do what all is good and perceived in your mind's eye, look how much good I am doing. But to God, is what you're doing, is it good? Probably not. Most things that we think is great, He sees as filthy rags. Most of the things that we see as great and try and take credit for, what does God view it as? Pride. Hmm. Everything that has to do with these this tree, its limbs and leaves and fruit, they're to be cut apart and scattered. Scattered. Now we all live pretty good lives. We may not be the wealthiest folks in the world, but we live pretty good lives. I mean, we're we got clothes on our backs, and we got food on the table, a roof over our heads. We have loved ones that we love and love us. If all of it disappeared, could you still survive? Could you figure out how to live within humble means? Because you see, when you look at a lot of the prominent folks in the world today, your actresses, actors, sports figures, politicians, you just name it. uh, If they all lost their money, they wouldn't know what to do. They couldn't figure out how to live under humble means. What actually happens with them? You've seen it. You've seen it happen to some. They become despondent. They disappear or sometimes even commit suicide because they don't know how to live without those things that they think they can't live without. That mighty money, that big old house, the fancy cars. You know, those unimportant things in life, in all reality. Jeremiah 17, verses seven and eight. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and who trusts is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will be, not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. See, we know how to live in humble means. We know how to live under God's rule. We depend on God. So this tree's got to be cut down. But leave the stump. Leave the stump. Leave it exposed to all the weathers. Let it lie there neglected and buried in grass. Let the beast that enjoyed the protection and provision relax and enjoy the peace from that rain. But don't let that stump be destroyed. Because I'm not done with it yet. We're going to bind it with uh, bands of iron and, and brass to keep it strong so it doesn't crumble. Job 14, verses 7 through 9. For there is a hope for a tree when it is cut down that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. I love that picture. I love that image. It gives us hope. It tells us we can be as strong as that big old tree. But God can look at us as that strong tree and say, hmm, who are you giving glory to? Who are you giving credit to? Cut it down. You see, I look at this, uh, at this particular message and I think to myself, that it is literally attitude adjustments. An attitude adjustment, where do we stand? How do we view God and the world that he's done and the blessings that he's given us? Are we taking credit for it? So that we need to be brought in an attitude adjustment of who really is king. We get cut down to size and sometimes it hurts. It can be quite painful. But when we recognize what takes place, God begins to water. And what happens? This tree in this dead stump is a great representation of that. I love this picture. God in judgment remembers mercy and may, not have, and may have good things yet in store for us whose condition seems hopeless. He can still water us and help us grow. Back to where we need to be. The meaning of this is explained by the angel himself, Nebuchadnezzar. Whoever the person is that is represented by this tree, he is sentenced to be removed or brought down, cut down to size. He's to be taken out of honor in his state and the dignity of a man, to be deprived of his use of reason and to be, well, and to live like a brute. For seven years. He's not going to live like a human. Let him be given a beast heart. There is actually a disease that is known to man that one thinks that they are literally a cow of the field. It's a weird name. I sit not decide to look it up and write it down. But it's bizarre. And some people say, well, that's what he had. You know, he felt like he was a, a, an ox. And so that's what he did for seven years but then they say that it's not too curable if you have this disease, this mental illness. So can you imagine what that would be like to have your humanity and your mind stripped from you, to be given the heart of a beast, to act like an animal, and to know that it's going to be for a while? This was a very sad event. And when we think about it, of all the worldly judgments God could have done with Nebuchadnezzar, he could have been like everybody else and stripped of his power and made low. But he's taken away something even more. Who was put on earth to rule the animals? Who was created for it? Man. So he's been brought so, going to be brought so low that he's lower basically than an animal. Sometimes I think this is how the black community feels in our world today. We're treated nothing more than an animal. We're respected about as much as an animal. Ezekiel 28.2 Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you've said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. You are a man and not a God. Although you make your heart like the heart of God. You see, this is where Nebuchadnezzar was running into issue. I am in charge. I am God. Without me, none of you could survive. Whatever outward punishment God uses to cause us to turn and repent, Has He ever used with you the same thing He did with Nebuchadnezzar? Has He turned you into an animal? You see, He still allows us to use our reason and peace of our consciousness to do it. He does not do something that... I don't even want to say terrible because what God can do is nothing terrible. He does what's necessary. And you're 4.18. This is the dream which I... King Nebuchadnezzar had seen. Now you, Belshazzar, tell me its interpretation. inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Nebuchadnezzar knew he could get an honest answer out of Daniel. He's not going to be afraid to tell him the truth, no matter how harsh and painful that truth would be. Nebuchadnezzar recognized Daniel as a man filled with the spirit of the Holy God. Nebuchadnezzar had not yielded himself to the Holy God as of yet. Daniel 4, 19, Daniel 4, 19 through 26. And Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. Before I continue reading, let's, let's think about that. What he saw in that dream appalled him. He had great concern. It froze him in his tracks. He knew that God was going to be doing something tremendous with Nebuchadnezzar. For a while, his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and, and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth." in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the most high which has come upon my Lord, the King, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field. And you'll be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of the heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and it bestows it on whomever he wishes.'" And it was, and in that it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Daniel gently cared for Nebuchadnezzar and was clearly affected by that meaning. He saw what it was and he knew what it was, that dream. And he didn't really want it to be true of his friend, Nebuchadnezzar. They were friends. Daniel applied the point without ambiguity. Instead of reaching for a general point uh, and saying things like, well, we could all use a little more humility. Daniel brought the truth in love. Think about what it was like for Nathan to talk to King David after he had the affair. And he told him the story of the little lamb. And David got madder and madder and said, oh, miss, this guy's going to pay. And what was it that Nathan said to him? 2 Samuel twelve seven, you are the man. It was told in love. When Daniel explained this to Nebuchadnezzar, the king probably could, couldn't guess just how literally it could be fulfilled and would be fulfilled. This was God's intended purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. The king could have avoided this humiliating fate if he genuinely humbled himself. Let me ask you this question. When we know that we are doing something and God has given us indications, are we able to humble ourselves? Are we able to step back and look at ourselves and think about what we're doing and humble ourselves? I think we can. But it's hard. It's hard. Who wants to knock themselves down a peg or two? Who wants to listen to their spouse who says, you're getting a little big for your britches? Who wants to listen to your friends that say, well, you know, you're doing all these things. We're not sure we want to be friends with you anymore. If you listen, you can repair all the damage. Daniel 4.27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. The right reaction to the threat of judgment is humble repentance. And unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar did not do it. He should have followed the example of the repentance like they did at Nineveh when Jonah preached to him. If he'd have done that, he'd have probably been just fine and dandy. And his kingdom would have lasted a little bit longer with him as head. We might think that Nebuchadnezzar had more reason than most to be proud after all. He was a great king. And he was not just counsel. In love, he was told, quit sinning, do better, take care of the people a lot easier. And you know, as this great king, he's probably thinking to himself, I'm already doing it. That's how the great tree got in my dream. What more can I do? Daniel 4, 28 through 33. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. Yours will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent. He's patient. But Nebuchadnezzar probably forgot all about that dream. He might have tried to live a little better. But that pride just took over for him. But God did not forget. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He wanted Him to repent. He wanted Him to be greater than He was. He was given the opportunity to humble Himself, and He did not. Now God humbled Him and the experience was much more severe than it would have been if he had just done it himself. But isn't that how it always is? If we could just stop and listen to what God is saying and turn, it would barely hurt. You know, your your wounded pride can heal a lot faster than most things. Daniel 4, 34 through 37. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting kingdom. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand, or say to him, what have you done? At the time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing, surpassing the greatness that was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven for all his works in the true way and his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He could not break free from this madness until the time was right. The time that God set that was appointed. Then he had the opportunity to humble himself and lift his eyes to heaven. Do you think that when we get to heaven, you're going to see Nebuchadnezzar there? Dang Skippy. Because he actually became a follower of God before he died. He knows who God is. He knows what God is. He knows how powerful he is and how just and merciful. Nebuchadnezzar could only see the truth about himself when he first saw the truth about God. He realized, I'm not the king. I'm not the ruler of all. It's not me. It's him. The most high he saw who god was and after this his, his recent return this return of reason resulted in worship he praised and loved and adored god and he prayed we will know that god can change we all know that god can change a heart and the mind of man he can change the course of rivers the flow of oceans the distribution of resources and the assignment of angels God wanted to restore Nebuchadnezzar. He still had a purpose. The goal wasn't to bring him low, but to bring him to his proper place before God, into fellowship with him. Truly, Nebuchadnezzar learned that those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. James 4, verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There have been many who rise from humble origins to great glory, and then they fall. Perhaps it's better to have never been raised up than to rise and then fall. It's harder for those folks. Most, if not all, fall through pride. And a proud look is number one on the list of God's most hated sins according to Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. We also see that God will glorify himself among all nations. When Nebuchadnezzar took some of the treasures of Jerusalem's temple and put them in the temple of his gods, he had a reason to believe that his gods were stronger than the God Almighty. He had reason to think that. But by the end of this letter, Nebuchadnezzar, well, he knew which God was the true God. And he turned. And I think that he actually quit worshiping. The gods that he had been following. And he wasn't shy about telling anybody about it. I did this. This is what this whole chapter was. Look at what I did. Look who I was. And God did this. And look where I'm at now. He was a true witness. Giving testimony to God's great works. How prideful are we? Do we take credit where credit is not due? Do we look at life in general and give God the glory? Do we claim with pride, look what I've done? I think all of us have done that at some point or another in our lives. We get that little big head thing going. Because we periodically do do this, I think we need to apply that old fire saying, stop, drop, and roll. Because that smell you might be smelling might be your hair catching on fire and that warmth might be actually be fire taking place. Nebuchadnezzar is a good example of a witness, one who relates what he has seen and experienced, which is all we're supposed to do. We're supposed to relate to everybody else what God has done for us and what we've experienced. We're supposed to be good witnesses. It is good to declare what God has done for us. Satan has a huge interest in keeping us unnaturally silent about the signs and wonders of God. He doesn't want us to tell anybody because they may turn from their ways. But you know, we ought to be able to tell others about how God has dealt with us, good, bad, and the ugly. We should be able to tell everybody else, well, you know what? I was doing this and God brought me down and I felt that pain of what he was doing. But look at me now. Look what God has done for me. Look how I was able to survive that punishment. And it made me stronger. It made me more faithful. All of God's working should be told and praised and not just things that we like. No one wants to tell how wicked they were at one point in time. Nobody does because well, If I tell you that I used to do this, this, and this, you might not think that good of me anymore. It doesn't matter. To be able to talk about our disobedience and how we came through the punishment shows our true character and God's mercy. Because I don't know about you, but some of the things I've experienced in my life, I bet 10 to 1, you've all experienced some stuff pretty similar. Psalm 118.23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. There are times I viewed myself as a stump, this dead stump. And I look at what God has done, and I see that I'm growing. I'm learning things from my past. I'm able to deal with things a lot easier. My roots are still there. The roots are still there. I can never forget. But what I can do is tell people what God is doing in my life now.